Hello, this is episode two of the Spoiled Ballots podcast. I'm Paul Stainton, and with me is my co-conspirator, Mr. Martin Curtis. Hi, good morning. Um, now, episode one, we just touched on the um, the generics of what we were talking about, which was the, the fact that we're both political nomads. We're on this desert island, stuck in the middle of politics, uh, been pulled left and right by the extremists, but um, we don't want to go, do we, Martin? Uh, we definitely do not want to go. I'm, I'm, I'm staying where I am, and I'm going to keep <laughs> telling people I've stayed where I am as well. Yeah, and me too. It's not me that's moved. Absolutely not, and uh, I, I think it's becoming clear, actually. I, I, um, one of the things that's interesting is I've seen, I think, television this morning, Dominic Raab getting a real, real roasting from people in his own constituency because they don't like the fact that he's too right-wing. And and that is, is being played out, isn't it? And and that's in Tory heartlands. Yep. In Labour heartlands, you know, we've seen over the last week with the launch of their manifesto uh, that the, the people are, are turning away from that as well when you look at the opinion polls. No, absolutely. Labour, have, um, Labour are not doing great at the moment. Uh, it's it, it's going to be really easy to pan Labour today because uh, actually, you know, we had Jeremy Corbyn's interview last night, which was a disaster. And I think we've got to be wary. Not that. according to the Labour Twitter feed. <laughs> I think the blinkers are well and truly on. Well, of course, they always are. And we'll get the same thing. On both sides. No, absolutely. We'll get the same thing because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm predicting that... Uh, uh, that, that Boris will get torn apart by Andrew Neil as well. Well, he's the star of the election so far. He's two for two with Nicola Sturgeon and uh, yeah. and um, Jezza. I mean, he, he tore Nicola Sturgeon apart. I mean, it was it was almost live murder on the TV. I mean, that uh, man is such an interviewer, isn't he? he he's, he's brilliant. I, he's um, a, a couple of elections ago, we had these things with uh, with Paxman. And they were awful, um, you know, because Paxman just wasn't up for it. He wasn't letting people answer. He was just, you know, he was making a name by interrupting all the time. With these, all the, he's just killing them with facts. And yeah. It's really, really powerful. Preparation. Absolutely. And, and as I said, Corbyn was a disaster yesterday. And But but I'm predicting that, that, that Boris will be as well. In, in fact, arguably more so. Because Boris has got some similar things he's got to deal with. Um, but also, Boris doesn't do detail, and, and, and Andrew Neil does. Yeah, he does uh, in a big, big way. He's a proper, proper journalist. And the highlight of the election for me so far, the two interviews with Sturgeon and with uh, with Jensen. But yeah, looking at the manifesto, so we, we virtually had every manifesto. I think the SNP one comes out today, but we pretty much know roughly what's going to be in that. Um, but the, the Tory, the Tory manifesto, the Labour Party manifesto, just full of promises for, for me. The Labour Party manifesto just frightens the life out of me because I remember the 70s. I remember those candles on the mantelpiece. I remember the strikes. I remember the rubbish. And I remember the borrowing. I remember Danny Seeley, the big eyebrows, going cap in hand to the IMF. And the amount of money that they're intending to spend and tax is eye-watering. It's tax and spend. It's also nationalisation. If you go into the, it, the further down you go into the Labour Party manifesto, the more you see that actually things like um, uh, privatisation of bus services, as an example, and I'm not a big fan of the way bus services operate in this country, but there's that. The talk about mandate making councils bring things like leisure centres and bin services back in house. So there's this mass nationalisation. And when people say this isn't the 70s again, mm. they're wrong. You see, this is where you and me differ because, uh, you know, bits of me are Labour, bits mm. of me are Lib Dem, and bits of me are Tory because I am in the middle somewhere. 
I, I think, this, this is my opinion, that some nationalisation is good. I, I, electric and water. If, if you, if you nationalise gas, electric and water, people would not have to choose between eating and heating. For me, as a human being, I, I think actually that's not a bad thing. Yeah, no, I, see, I, I think you're wrong. Uh, and, and, and I'll tell you where... Because, you, you looked because, at me then, you looked at me then like you were going to say I was right, no, and then you said no. you're wrong. Nationalisation of electricity does not mean people don't have to pay for electricity. It just means the state runs the electric services. Mm. And they can, they then can. They will still have an electric bill to pay. They'll still have a gas bill to pay. They'll still have a water bill to pay. But you could set the price, so, couldn't you? You could you, make you a loss. Could, on you it. could, you could make a loss yeah. on it if if you chose to do so. Yeah. But then you're subsidising people that don't need to be subsidised as well. Well, you could make it means tested, couldn't you? you, you know. Yeah, you could, but you could do that now. But it would stop people. You know, you could do that now. Living uh, in freezing cold houses and dying, wouldn't it? Well, no, because they would still have to pay for it, and you could do that now. And we do it now through things like winter fuel allowances, mm. as an example. So I, I, I don't buy into that. Um, I, I'm not, I'm, I'm not slavishly. I see. I would bring that. I, I would bring National Rail back into house, but I would only do it so that you could you, you could reprivatize it uh, on a more sensible footing, because the way it works at the moment doesn't work. Uh, but but that's the only one I would I would actually do it with. I have some sympathy, I think, with with Royal Mail um, and, and Royal Mail privatisation. I think a national mail service run by the state makes a lot of sense. Because Trouble is then you get the unions involved, you get, you know, uh, it, it, gets, it gets too many jobs, too many people not doing anything. Yeah. You end up with the French system where, mm. you know, the state-run mm. companies have got, you know, five people digging a hole and 16 people watching. No, you know? Absolutely, and that's the thing you've got to watch. And uh, when you go out to China, you see this all the time. There's a, there's a lot of false employment in China. It's astonishing. <laughs> yeah. But no, absolutely. But that's the one area I have sympathy. But if you go back to nationalisation, so as an example, the nationalisation of the steel industry. Yeah. Um, one of the things that happened with nationalisation was you you ended up with a government then making political decisions that were bad business decisions and the start of the demise of the steel industry was because the, the government provided too much capacity to develop steel yeah. and it led to a price crash uh, and that was all because they wanted to provide employment and the and danger is you end up you end up with bad people in charge of these companies i mean it's a bit like the bbc if, if you're a rubbish producer or a rubbish presenter they don't get rid of you they make you a manager so you end up with managers who are just rubbish yeah at the top and you end up with the Peter Principle where they can't go any higher and they create a blockage. So you end up with that in, in, in public companies, don't you, eventually? Well, you do. You, you get it a bit in the military, actually, where you promote people to the first level of incompetence is the way they go. <laughs> That's they the BBC, course. yeah. Well done. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, but it, it's... Um, it's something my dad talks about a lot. This is where that comes from. But, uh, but it's also about making decisions for the right reasons. If you've got a business that's run as a business, the decisions you make are business decisions. And, and that, um, you know, rather than political decisions. And if you make political decisions, they have a negative impact on competitiveness and all mm. sorts of things. There is one thing in the Labour manifesto related to that, though, which um, I think is really, really interesting. And, and I do have some sympathy with. Um, Martin Curtis, former leader of Cambridgeshire County Council, has sympathy with something in the Labour Party manifesto. Yeah, and I'm trying to find it now because yeah. I've got it in a note. Is it, is it so small? Is it so tiny? Well, no, there's a few bits, um, but but it's it's talking about um, it's talking about changing the way business operates, and I, I do think this is a, an issue. So if you look at um, some of the failures of some of the 
um, some of the real big national companies that just specialise in winning public tenders, and I've forgotten the name of the company as well. I'm so well informed today. <laughs> Late <laughs> but, night, was it? Yeah, no, Christmas not, party. not at all. But, but, you know, they're talking about changing the objectives and making business think more long-term rather than just taking short-term business in, mm. short-term decisions. And I think that does harm. So when you talk about businesses acting in the interests of the shareholder, that is perceived as business taking short-term decisions to, to make, make profit. To, to make yeah. profit. Yeah. And actually, I would argue that if you're going to genuinely act in the interest of a shareholder, it's the long-term view and the long-term benefits of the business you need to focus on. And what happens is bonus systems and all sorts gets in the way of that. So I think making business think more long-term and taking less short-term decisions is a good thing. And there's something in that in the Labour manifesto. And the, high, the highlight, really, though, was that you know 95% of people will pay no more tax for these you know, these huge spending plans are something like £83 billion worth, not including nationalisation. So 95% of us won't pay any more tax. But if you tax companies, don't they, don't they cut staff cut wages and put their prices up so effectively you tax everybody anyway. Yeah, the, the, this notion that you just increase corporation tax and therefore that's the problem solved yeah. and we've got our tax revenue sorted is, is rubbish. I've okay. got a company, I just yeah. won't employ any more people. Yeah. If, I, if I've got to pay 10% more in tax, why would I? No, ab- absolutely right. And and you'll also have to put prices up. It's absolutely yeah. that. It will all trickle down eventually and anyway it's not all going to be paid for in that way. And I think that was one of the things that, that was exposed yesterday. Well, I think the IFS said that as well, didn't they? Yeah. They said, look, you know, tax on this scale, mm. it's inevitable that a vast amount of people will have to pay more. Otherwise, you won't collect the money. You'll just end up borrowing or, mm. as Jeremy calls it, not borrowing. Well, yeah, absolutely. Because apparently issuing bonds isn't borrowing these well, days. No, I, and they, they came unstuck with this in the last general election. You think they'd learn their lessons? No, you would. Speak to Tony Blair. <laughs> yeah, he knows how to win elections. Well, he does indeed. He was very good at winning elections. Absolutely, That's, got my vote once. He never had mine. But um, you were close, though, weren't you? Well, yeah. Most of the time, Blair was in power. See, I joined the Conservative Party in '97, mm. which and partly because of a "What have we done?" thing mm. uh, when Blair came to power. So yeah. I was an active party member all the time that Blair was in power. So I was always then going to vote Conservative. So yeah, but. The Conservative Party, in that respect, in terms of tax, have tied themselves up as well, because they've committed to the triple lock on tax. Mm. Um, So no increases in national insurance, no increases in income tax, no increases in VAT. At the same time, they've said they will intervene if borrowing gets so that 6% of um, GDP is spent on debt interest. And you you pull those two things together and you say, well, actually, all they've done is tied the Chancellor's hands behind his back. All he will then have to do is go off and and fiddle and find and and just get underneath the radar. But he's already rubbing back on some of the promises that Bojo's made in, yep. off the cuff. You know, oh, we're going to cut national insurance. You know, we're going to raise raise it up to twelve thousand. He's already saying, well, we won't do that in the next parliament. So he's gone back on that. Uh, they're going back on the corporation tax cut. So it doesn't look good already, does it? And the fifty thousand nurses they're going to employ, twenty thousand of them are already working in the NHS, but they can't work that one out, can they? Simple. It's Diane Abbott maths, and the what? Conservatives can't work it out. <laughs> 
I heard a great line this morning, which is, um, which is, uh, you know, if 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 you borrow fifty pound off uh, <laughs> off the chancellor, you've only got to pay him thirty one quid back. <laughs> it's just it's, madness. It's absolute madness. Uh, just be honest. Uh, oh well, I agree. People, uh, people love honesty. If you're relatable and honest. They'll get your vote. If you say, look, we can only afford to get 31,000 extra nurses, but we're going to retain 19,000. That's the end of the story. Yeah, we're going to recruit 31,000. What we're going to do also is get the NHS right so we've got retention right so we're not losing as much. I was going to say to you, you know, I, I know a lot of people that work in the NHS. I've, I've interviewed a lot of people down the years that are part of the NHS. And I, you know, I've heard over the years, you know, a bit like what we talked about earlier, hmm. public companies, a lot of fat at the top, a lot of rubbish at the top, needs a bit of a rejiggle, needs a bit of a sorting out. Not nurses and doctors, fantastic job. We know they do a yep. fantastic job. But the management structures, you know, for me, what I do with the NHS is put doctors and nurses in charge. That's what I do. Because they know what they're doing. So, um, do you remember Circle Health, who took over um, Hingebrook for a yes, while? Yes, yeah, yeah, and ruined it, yeah. Well, they did. Well, yeah. the, the, the issue with Circle Health and Hingebrook, I think it's a big thing, that part of the reason for that was they the, their contract didn't allow for the growth in, mm. in A&E, mm. uh, and they couldn't cope with it. They also ran a thing called the Medical Treatment Centre, I think they still do, in Nottingham. And what they did was built, and one of the reasons they made the, the medical treatment centre work is because they built the whole management structure. So they built teams around doctors and right. around clinicians, mm -hmm. and it made it the whole system work a, a lot better. So you're better. saying they built a good system, but they just they couldn't mm -hmm. add up either? Well, they had, at Hinchinbrook, absolutely. The medical mm -hmm. treatment centre, it worked fine. What mm -hmm. was interesting is if you asked people what they thought of the medical treatment centre, they absolutely loved it. Yeah. If you then told them that it was in private ownership, um, although the doctors, the nurses were all NHS employed, um, then you start getting a different response. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but the reality is there's a bit of that public, a bit of that um, uh a private sector business dynamism that the NHS needs to focus and that's why I think the argument with the NHS is not about privatising the NHS it's about how do we make the NHS the best um, uh, free at the point of use service in the world more efficient more efficient yeah and, and, and but you're and always going to get pushed back as soon as you mention you're bringing in private people to run bits of it people are going to push back because they don't well, this is part of the problem, isn't it? They don't trust politicians of any colour. But if you moment. don't have some private sector dynamism, then you don't have anybody driving change and improvement. Mm. Uh, and so, as an example, one of the things that they they uh, really, really pushed in that area was this notion of making sure that they reduce the number of missed appointments. So what they, you know, they were the first people to go out and actively text message and call people to make sure they turned up for appointments. And they massively undercut and reduced the number of people that were missing appointments, mm. saving them money, making them much more efficient. They also put extra capacity in some of the doctor's days so that the doctors, if, if somebody came in, because it was a day treatment centre and a doctor said, well, actually, you don't need me, you need this guy over there, rather than sending them home and making them come back in three months' time, yeah. they try and fit them in that day. That's no, a common sense. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, all, all cost-saving, but all much, much better for the patient as mm. well. And for me, we need that stuff. And, so, and so when Jeremy Corbyn talks about, you know, all these billions he's going to pour into the NHS, and when, when you know, Boris talks about the billions, it, it's it's not about pouring money in necessarily, is it? It does need more money. You know, but but we, not just tipping it into a... Into a no. you know, a, 
I don't call it a broken system, but a system that needs adjusting. You can't keep tipping money into something because it, it's just going to go out the other end, isn't it? it? No, absolutely right. And it's the same with, with adult social care. All we're hearing is people putting more money into adult social care. In fact, what we're hearing in this election is we're going to sort it without any detail. Where's the plans? No, absolutely. Because we know, don't we, you know, in the next 20 years, you know, a vast proportion of us are going to be you know, elderly over the age of 60, yep. and it's getting worse and worse and worse and worse. And you know, nobody, mm. not one of these politicians, is looking further than the next five years. No, that's absolutely right. And if, if all you get in this election is people saying, we're going to throw another bag of money at adult social care, all they're doing is kicking the problem into the long grass. Somebody's going to have to deal with it at some a- point, because absolutely. we're not going to have enough people in this country to earn the tax money to pay for our care. No, that's uh, no, absolutely. The, the proportion of taxpayers per um, elderly people is is decreasing all the time. Mm. And, you know, that means the, the the proportion of your tax that's going into the NHS is going up and up and up all the time. And we, we, need, we need young people to come here and we're going to stop them coming here. <laughs> yeah, here we go. Bonkers. <laughs> yeah, it, there's, there's so much about it that doesn't make sense. And, you know, the NHS is a great example. It's really hard as a politician to have the conversation that needs to be had about the NHS. And it, it really, you know, my big issue about politics at the moment is it's followership, not leadership. Mm. And the NHS is a great example where you need a leader to come forward and really drive a sensible debate about what the NHS needs to be. And it's not to say we mustn't have an NHS. And it's not to say anything other than what we've got is going to an American system, because that's a daft argument that, you know, that's what the Labour Party use. What you need is somebody to say, what is it we need? How isn't, do we make it, this work? But isn't this where, you know, sensible politicians should get together, cross-party, and thrash it out? Thrash mm. out the problems within the NHS. Thrash out a plan for adult social care. Because it's going to affect everybody. It, it shouldn't be party politics on things like that, should it? But might say, no, well, you, you've talked about working with different parties at Cambridge and County Council. It's not always that easy, it's, is it? It's not that easy, but that's why I believe that PR is the answer. And by the way, only the Lib Dems have got PR in their ref, in their manifesto. Well, they haven't but, got a lot in there, to be honest. No. They? You know, a penny on income tax for the NHS. <laughs> mm, a scratching an itch, isn't it? Well, Tax-frequent flyers, legalised cannabis. They've become the, peripheral, the, haven't the, they? The penny, the penny on income tax thing with the Lib Dems. Yeah. Right? This joke, by the way, is courtesy of Alistair Burt. So, Hello, um, Alistair. Yeah, um... So Alistair, and it's it's the Lib Dems magic robot. Do you remember the little magic robot when yeah. you're a kid, where you spin it around, it asks a question, and it spins around to the answer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the, the Lib Dems have got their own magic roundabout, where you spin it around, and whatever the question is, it spins back to penny on income tax, <laughs> uh, because every manifesto, every election, that's their answer to the world's problem. Yeah, and it, and it's a, it's not enough. B, it's only part of the problem, the money. But when you look at their manifesto, um, legalized cannabis, tax frequent flyers. Um, penny on income tax and of course stop Brexit none of that's cutting through at the minute is it none of it the Lib Dems are getting lost I thought at the beginning of this election that uh, it was Joe Swinton's election to make Um, she had the real real potential to actually bring forward and break through because I I think there's a lot of people that will now probably vote Labour although last night might change that but will probably vote Labour that probably could have been persuaded to vote Lib Dem but would never ever vote Conservative mm. but the Lib Dems just haven't cut through and made it happen Is it policy? Is it leadership? Because I, I find her and I, I don't mean this in a man-woman mm. thing but I find her a, a turn-off as a politician I find her screechy um, she looks slightly frightening when she gets too close to the camera um, you know 
I, I find I, I find her unrelatable. Uh, I, I've heard that from a lot of people, and um, I, I, you know, I think there was a comment I've heard about her being a bit school marmish. That's another thing. one. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It reminds me of being seven again, yeah. and being sent outside uh, it, of it, most classrooms. It, it, I mean, it could be that you know her time her, her time isn't yet, and that you know she's got a bit more learning to do. I was think she a wrong maybe. choice? Uh, who was the right choice? <laughs> I, um, you know, that's a difficult bit. I don't see a massive leadership coming out of the Lib Dems, but I do think that PR going back to what we were talking about, I do think PR is the answer to that. When it comes to things like adult social care, if you've got a, a PR system where parties are having and, and having to talk to each other in order to come together to form governments, mm. then you are going to get sensible discussions about Consensus, what to do. Consensus, compromise. A absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I'm coming round to it, Martin. I'm coming round to PR, I have to say. Because I think it would force people to have conversations and stop all this nastiness, this, you know, my, my Twitter feed this week, you know, I've posted a few things and i just, you know, taken some stick. Well, it's good because I've got followers who give people stick back. Uh, but some of it is just so blinkered and partisan, you know, from all sides. That oh, well, you just think, what? Well, I, I, sorry, it, it, my, my Twitter feed's been partisan, well, my Facebook feed's been partisan as well, in, the, in that both me and you have taken stick. <laughs> good. <laughs> I, I like that. I like being called a lefty. I'm a, I'm a Tory boy. Well, you, you, you apparently are a lefty because, you, because you work for the BBC. Oh, right. So you okay. used to work for the, so you're a lefty, so that's fine. <laughs> and I'm a conservative, so, you know, yeah. that's labelled me as well. Oh, we're doing so all right then, aren't yeah, we? Absolutely. We've got perfect balance. Yeah. So, in the, so in the manifestos, let, let's take the top three. So Labour's manifesto, Tory manifesto, which was very short, by the way. The Tory manifesto, 59 yeah. pages long and mm. done in crayon, by the looks of it. Uh, and the Lib Dem manifesto. Uh, of all of them, are any of them deliverable, believable? Are they going to win votes, lose votes? I think the Conservative Party manifesto was written to avoid losing votes. So no yeah. information, headlines. Yeah, you know. there, are, there are things in there that I quite like. You know, I, I talk a lot about one nationism um, because it's something I'm passionate about. And there are things in there that are quite one nationist. There's not enough and there's no detail. And so, you know, the, the, the idea about devolution and, and more devolution is in there. And, and I'm a big fan of devolving power. The difficulty is, you know, there's the elephant in the room with devolution, which is you have to devolve tax raising powers mm. in order for for devolution to work. Because the problem with that is, we've uh, you know, I live in live in and around Peterborough, and Peterborough City Council's budget has been cut by eighty percent. You can't devolve power without finance, can you? That's no. ridiculous. If you go back to local government elections, what happens in local government elections is people will use it. Um, and they will vote according to what their national views are. And that is because local government doesn't matter enough to them. And if you've got local government that is really genuinely delivering infrastructure improvement, that is raising its own taxes and has real power to raise its own taxes. If you took, example, five, five pence in the pound off income tax, just give it to local government with more power and said to local government, okay, you can now deliver and, and raise local income tax. Uh, it would make local government matter, and and uh, well, then you've got to have the right people in local government. I mean, absolutely and, and, and this, right. This is a problem, isn't it? You know, and in particular where I live, you know, the, 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 there are many people in local government who are not particularly well trusted. It, uh, I actually don't believe the standard of local government uh, uh, across the country is good enough. And I work, you know, and I work mm. with local government all the time. There are some really, really good committed people. There are there are people that 
probably shouldn't be there anymore and shouldn't have been there for a long time. Mm. Uh, and we need to reform local government as well. And there's none of that in any of the manifestos either. But, you know, that one of those things that they won't talk about. Would you have PR in, in local elections yeah, as well? Yeah, I would. You yeah, would? would. No, stop, yeah. uh, you know, the blue councils, the red councils and all that sort of stuff. Uh, you, we can't afford to have these councils where whatever happens, you are ending up with a red council or a blue council. Um, you know, I go back to Cambridgeshire, had three years, four years in no overall control. Um, actually, didn't fall apart. No. Um, did, did, did we get more done? I don't believe we did. Um, I, and I, I can talk about Cambridgeshire. I, I think Cambridgeshire failed because of the drive to the move back to the committee system, to be honest. Mm. Uh, I think it does slow the pace of a council down. So you need a cabinet to, yeah. to make decisions at the end of the day and get on with it. You 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 need some you need a decision making, but and you need a streamlined decision making mm. process. Mm. Uh, and Otherwise, it's just a talking shop that talks and talks and talks and talks and talks. Absolutely, there's there's also uh, with local authorities now increasingly to get things done, you've got to work together, which is what mm. the combined authority is about in Cambridgeshire as well, and and actually. Uh, there are too many instances where they're just not uh, and and that gets in the way so things like the Greater Cambridge Partnership which was a city deal um, the reality is you know it hasn't delivered in the way that people want it to for all sorts of reasons and it's starting to make progress now and, um, eventually though eventually yeah absolutely how much money has been spent and time wasted but if we've got a culture where we are used to working together where we are used to sitting around a table and saying right this is this is what we need to do mm. this is what we agree on isn't this it is more than that though it's, it's, it's the fact that these partisan party lines mm. you know the people don't do it because you know the, the, the mayor might be upset and the, mm. the Conservative Association might be upset or the Labour Party or the and he said, if, if those were taken out of it and people were just doing it, it's a bit like radio. You know, when you're a presenter or a producer, you start with the listener and you work backwards. Yep. They don't do that in politics. They don't start with what do, you know, the people at home need no. and work back. They start with what does our party think we ought to be giving them. It's the, it's, it's the cart before the horse, isn't it? It is. The best politics is a combination of top down and bottom up. Um, you know where you have got good top-down decision making, where you've got an ability to make decisions, but you're informed in those decisions from the bottom up. That's how politics should work, and it just doesn't. It's it's too distant from people now, and and I think making people's vote count every single time makes mm. a difference. Mm. And and again, you know that's one of the benefits of PR. The trouble is, turkeys are not going to vote for Christmas, are they? I mean, the Labour Party and and the Conservative Party. You know, they they know they've got seats where they're going to win every time. They're not going to give those up, are they? Well, it's also that um, you know, in terms of well, no, no they're, they're absolutely not. No, no. Uh, they won't. But it's also you know the thing about local government reform, less councillors, and that means uh, MPs have got less foot soldiers and candidates have got less foot soldiers to go out and campaign during elections. Mm. And that's another reason why they won't make it happen. It's not about what's right for, for the guy on the ground. It's about what's right for, for the pol politicians. Mm. And again, you know, it's wrong. But that then plays into this trust issue, doesn't it? The yeah. fact that, you know, people don't think things are being done in their name for the right reasons, they're being done for their parties or whatever. Mm. Uh, so that erodes trust as well. And, and mm. if, if one thing, in my mind, this election has done, mm. is erode trust even further because politicians have been coming across as absolute incompetent fools, idiots, you know, Nincompoops. We had a, we had a, uh, you know, a candidate for MP up north uh, on on Twitter who's been interviewed by TV cameras, a Labour uh, candidate, and he was he was denying that Labour were going to offer a second referendum. 
even though he admitted it was, there was going to be a vote, he was denying that was a referendum. And the reporter was incredulous. Say, but you're going to have a, a referendum. No, no, it's a vote. Yes, a referendum. No, it's a vote. The man was an incomplete. You know, and then you've got Matt Hancock mm. doing his quite sort of weird walks to camera when he goes places. Somebody's said to him, wherever you go, stick a camera on your face, look like you're doing stuff. Yeah. And it's really, it, it looks like something out of a horror movie. It's really Alan Partridge, Matt, if you're listening to me, don't do it anymore. You, you, you look ridiculous. You, you don't think it's, he's been offered the job of Ministry of, Minister of Silly Walks? He, well, he has, he's got <laughs> the slowest walk and, and the biggest eyes. And he yeah. looks into the camera, I'm here. And he's quite, he's quite menacing, you know, and it does not work, you know, it really doesn't. But they're all at it, aren't they? They've all got cameras, you know, stuck in their faces, thinking that, you know, Scorsese. What, the thing that I find really frustrating is they all think that the political waffle, uh, that the people buy it, and people just sit and look at it and go, no, but not having that. But the penny's and, not dropped for them, has it? The no. people are cleverer than that. Give people a bit of credit. You know, mm. when I worked at the BBC, you know, the management would say, oh, you, you know, you don't need to tell them that, you don't need to tell them this, you know. I said, no, you, you don't, because they know enough. They'll make their own minds up, you know. They're intelligent, the listeners. And it's, it, you know, the public are intelligent, and these politicians don't get it. They're sick of the waffle. They're yep. sick of the rubbish. They want, if, if a politician stood up tomorrow with a party and told the truth yep. and took whatever they needed to take on the chin, people would vote for them. They would, because it would also be an example of leadership, as yes. say, rather than followership. And that's the problem at the moment. People are afraid to buck the trend and say what needs to be said. The role of a politician is not to follow. Uh, the role of a politician, it is to listen, absolutely, but then to use the resources at their hand and their good judgment to look at what needs to happen and then make the case for that change. It's not about saying so-and-so says we can't change adult social care, it's got to stay the same, and therefore it's going to stay the same, and we've got to make a case and put together a load of political waffle about why it should stay the same. Mm. You know, it, it's about somebody saying, right, we've got this problem here, we know what's here. Okay, let's go research. What are the best examples of adult social care in the world? What are the more quirky things of adult social care in the world? Like the adult social care tax they have for over 40s in Japan. Yeah, yeah. Looking at all those and going, okay, We've got something that works here. Now, my job as a politician is to lead the way and make the case for that. Yeah, and take, take that, adapt it, and use it in my country for good. Not yeah. just stand there and say, get Brexit done every five minutes, which Quite. people are going to get fed up with. A Theresa May thing, strong and stable. You know, if I'd have been working in a PR team, after five minutes, I would have shut up! <laughs> Stop saying that. Answer some questions. You know, yeah. uh, you know, change your tack. You know, tell people what good you're going to do. It, even the Conservative Party manifesto. I think every single section, even the ones that aren't about Brexit, oh, the, the coloured in bits. Yeah, the coloured in bits. Every single section and every single ends with, "Let's get Brexit done." It's just ridiculous. Uh, no, it is. People it is. have had enough of that crap, and it yeah. is crap. Yeah. Um, let's let's look at some of the the peripheral parties, and, and I, I say this with the greatest of respect, but. The Brexit Party has just become peripherous. Now, I mean, Nigel Farage, I think, has been to Peterborough, where I, while I live, uh, twice in the last uh, week or so. Uh, Mike Green is is a very vocal, very local um, businessman who's standing for the Brexit Party. Yet, there, you know, he nearly won Peterborough. He nearly won Peterborough in the by-election. But according to the polls, they're miles off. They're down five, six percent. What's gone wrong? 
Well, Nigel Farage has gone wrong. It was always going to happen. You, you know, it, it's um, you, the similar similar to the Brexit party. His 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 strategic thinking. He's great at a very superficial level. As soon as you get beyond that, he's not. And bearing in mind, I remember his first UKIP manifesto, which he then disowned afterwards. You know, it had things like. Um, uh, making taxi drivers wear uniforms, and I think one of the, the important things, stuff. Yeah, yeah. I, I, one of them was about making the circle line back to a circle again. Yeah, of course, we yeah. all want that, don't we? We've been, we, we've been campaigning shows, for that he, for many he, he, he years. He really, you know, what he's good at is this this um, top level bluster. But it was never going to work, was it? Because no. it's a one. You, you can't call your party the Brexit Party because as soon as Brexit is delivered, as as Bozza think let's call him Bozza, Bozza thinks it's going to be. You're done, aren't you? If you call your party Brexit Party, you would have to have a huge rebranding, come up with some policies. It doesn't work, does it? The danger is, although they're toast for this election, that you know they are going to be absolutely nowhere, and you know it means people like Paul Bristow and Peterborough will probably win now. Um, but the reality is that we're not going to get Brexit done. We are going to get a bill through Parliament if the Conservatives get a majority. And then from there, we then enter into trade negotiations with the threat of a WTO no-deal Brexit still at the end of it. And what that does is open a door for a Brexit party rejuvenation, if I can say it, which means that actually we're going to end up with local elections being four and one, with the Brexit party getting hundreds of seats again and causing chaos in places like Peterborough, in Cambridgeshire. So... so Boris really does have to get it done, but get it done properly to stop that happening, basically. But it's it's going to be tough, isn't it? That, that, yeah. I don't think people quite realise, and I'm, I'm not being condescending here, when when Boris says we're going to get Brexit done, this could take years to, to negotiate all these deals with the EU. See, Boris is saying the same thing about the European trade deal as he did about the Brexit deal. Mm. Uh, he is saying it's going to be done in, in, by 2020, or we're just not going to, or, or we'll leave on WTO terms. it's not terms. like you can walk into a shop and say, oh, that deal, please. No, it, absolutely. You've got to negotiate every aspect of yeah. it. And it, we've got some peculiar aspects, hmm. you know, fishing rights, things like that, that the EU are not going to get, they're not no. going to want to give all our waters back, are they? And no. stop no. Spanish trawlers, you know, trawling the English Channel no. or wherever. And, and the reality of that is, if we leave under WTO terms, we go into recession. We should be no doubt about that. Mm. When you hear politicians talking about no deal and using the phrase bumps on the road, it, political waffle, it means recession. Well, we're, we're only yeah. 0.3 of a percentage point above a recession right now. Absolutely. So we either go into a recession but under WTO terms or we decide to do the sensible thing, which is to go beyond 2020 and, and make it take as long as it takes to, to deliver a trade deal. Boris knows that. But he's saying what he says in the same way that he did before because it's what people want to hear from him, not what people need to hear from him. Yeah. Um, we're, what are we, two weeks away from the election almost? Hmm. Uh, Boris is 10 to 15 points ahead in the poll, depending which poll you look at. Why? Why is he ahead? Well, because there's no opposition. You know, we say Joe Swinson's just fading into obscurity. The Brexit party are nowhere. And 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 the Labour Party just aren't hitting the mark with any. So the people. lesser of mm. the evils mm. looks like he's going to try. Yeah, no, he will. Um, I, I still say my my perfect outcome is Boris to lose his seat and the Conservatives <laughs> to get a majority. <laughs> You're a naughty boy, Martin. You're a very naughty boy. 
Well, listen, it's, it's been great catching up. And uh, that is episode two of the Spoilt Ballots podcast. We'll be back next week with our own unique take on what the heck is going on in politics at the moment. Thank you.